Welcome to the Stream of David, and now your host, David Strickle. Welcome to the Stream of David show. I'm here today with TJ Woodward. TJ is a best-selling author, international speaker, and revolutionary recovery expert who has helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. TJ was given the honor of being ordained as an agape minister by Dr. Michael Beckwith and is also the founding minister of Agape Bay Area in Oakland, which was the first satellite community of the Agape International Spiritual Center in L.A. Hi, TJ. almost didn't get all that out. <laughs> oh, hi, David. Thank you so much. Yes, my notes are so interesting. <laughs> I should have taken a breath in the middle of all that. You've got lots of, lots of credentials, so lots of great things to talk about. And I guess we can just dive right into how we know each other. We met through uh, Debbie Garcia, who's been on here many times, and, and we both, do you still host a show on Spirituality Gone Wild? I don't host a show, but I'm a guest on her show on many Mondays. We seem to do just about every other Monday, we uh, jump on and do a show. Fantastic. I, I know you have a great presence uh, on that, in that community, and I've been on with her for a couple of years now, and it's just an interesting place to meet a lot of different people from all walks of life. I call it the big tent of spirituality on Spirituality Gone Wild for sure. So it's uh, nice that we have that connection. Debbie's great. Absolutely. So grateful for her and all the connections. She's such a connector. So I'm grateful that she connected us. Definitely, definitely. So your specialty, among many other things, is recovery. And we were talking before we went live how we both agree that, you know, we have encountered people in our work that are, are in recovery for, for different, from different things. But definitely the common thread in success seems to be some sort of belief, some sort of a spiritual connection seems to make a lot of difference for a lot of people. So why don't you just uh, give us a little rundown on your philosophy regarding re recovery and how you work with your, uh, your clients? Yeah, thank you. I, I have been in recovery myself for 34 years, and I've been working pretty much full-time in the addiction treatment field for about 12 years. And a couple of things come to mind when you ask that question. First and foremost, um, conscious recovery is a modality that I've created from my experience, and the foundational principle is underneath all addictive behavior is a whole and perfect essential being. And a lot of the modalities, the support groups, the uh, psychological approach, a lot of it is focusing on what is broken about the person. And so for me, spirituality goes beyond only belief, which you mentioned, or even only practice, but also how are we holding ourselves and how are we holding others? And what happens when we look for the essential wholeness in a person rather than looking for what's broken within them. And that's kind of just a, maybe a launching point for the conversation, but that's what makes conscious recovery fundamentally different than some of the other approaches out there. Yeah, you know, I always say that, that we all have some sort of addiction in our lives. There's always something that we use to sort of fill the void of awakening until we receive some sort of or manifest some sort of awakening within us. And of course, awakening, again, is a big term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But really discovering that source connection that was always there all along. And, and until you really make connection with that, it's very easy to soothe that with numerous things, right? 
Well, absolutely. And you're pointing to something that's so fundamental to me, and that is the connection with our spiritual essence. So, you know, we use a lot of different language. We might call it our God consciousness, our essential beingness, our Buddha nature, our true nature. What we're speaking to is when we are disconnected from that essential beingness, we end up looking to someone, something outside of ourselves to try to soothe really the pain of that disconnection. So within my experience and with uh, all the clients I've worked with over the years, it seems that we come into the world deeply connected with our essential truth, and then we get programmed to believe that we're broken, that we're damaged, that the world is not safe. And so that primary disconnection to me is one of the root causes of addiction. Addiction could simply be uh, framed as us looking for someone or something outside of ourselves that becomes a habitual pattern. And what we're really seeking is connection that, you know, as you said so beautifully, if I'm not connected with my true self, then I'm going to quite possibly become addicted to something outside of me to try to regain that sense of connection or that wholeness. Right. And, and you know, the idea of addiction also, you know, there's such a stigma around it and it's considered you know, a lot of people consider it a weakness or something bad or something awful. But that's why I like to say, you know, in different ways, we're all addicted to something until we discover that. I don't know many people that haven't had certain things, whether, it, like you said, it's another person or food, especially sugar. You know, I find sugar highly addictive. I know it's something that oh, yeah. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm on sugar, I have a very hard time just stopping cold turkey. I have to wean myself off of sugar, just like I had to wean myself off of Oxycontin. You know, it takes a little right. time and work. And then once I'm off of it, I feel so much better. But it's so easy to get back into it. You know, and as soon as you have a little bit of sugar, you just want a little more. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting how our, especially our processed foods can be so addictive. Yes, for sure. And I love that you talked about spirituality gone wild being a broad tint for spirituality. And in the same way, I think when we think of addiction, we primarily think of drugs and alcohol. And of course, those are, you know, part of the addiction umbrella, if you will, or that big tent. But as you said, it can be so many different things. It can be shopping, it can be sex, it can be relationships, it can be sugar, as you said. And so we live in a really highly addictive culture. And I think a big part of that is what we already spoke to, and that is a lot of us are really disconnected from our true nature. So, of course, we're you know trying to find something to soothe that, as we said. I call addiction a brilliant strategy rather than a coping mechanism, because in the beginning, it might have brought us a sensation or a feeling of peace, of comfort, or it might have numbed out you know some traumatic events in our life. So it was really brilliant in the beginning. The issue, of course, is it doesn't continue to work that way. But when we're addicted, we keep going back to that um, same you know, source, trying to get fed, and it just doesn't work the way it once did. And to me, that's where it becomes an addiction. That's a good point, because I remember you know, different things that I have found myself addicted to, food, sugar, never alcohol. I've never really had a problem with alcohol, but definitely Oxycontin. Uh, I was definitely dependent on Oxycontin. And I don't know how you define the difference. You're, you're the expert here, so you can tell me. I, I always said that I was never really addicted to it. I was dependent upon it because I wasn't abusing it and I wasn't overusing it. So is there a difference between dependence and addiction? Or am I just using, the same, the, using two different words to really mean the same thing? 
Well, that is a huge conversation because depending on who you talk to or talk with, you're going to get a lot of different opinions about that. Like the medical, like a lot of doctors are trained to say, if you don't have a physical addiction, you're not addicted to it. But we know that that's not really the whole story, right? Because, you know, someone might be addicted to vaping. Um, they might not be addicted to the nicotine, but just the practice of it, the ritual of it. And right. so for me, the important thing for me is I think that's something that's self-identified because here's the bottom line. We don't call it an addiction as long as it's working. We call it fun, right? Or we call it relaxing. <laughs> Recreation. <laughs> Recreation. And, and the thing is, if we can take all the stigma and the shame out of it, and then we can ask the individual, how is this working for me? Because if it's a brilliant strategy in the beginning, where does it cross that line? And honestly, I think the only person that can identify that is the individual, right? So if it feels like it's still working for me, I might not call it an addiction. But if it starts to cause more problems than it is helpful, we might say it crossed the line. So, you know, there's so many different ways to answer that question. But there's some quality about it no longer serving me or not doing what it once did that I might identify it as dependence or addiction. And again, it's really the question that I have really is not so much the, the words, but is it still brilliant? Is it still helping you or is it now moved into where it's not actually serving me, at least not in the way that I hope it will? And I like that you did point out that if you're physically addicted, that's a little different than being mentally or emotionally addicted to something because I was definitely physically addicted to Oxycontin. I, you know, I couldn't go too many hours without taking my next dose. I think I told you when we uh, prepped for this, uh, this interview that I used to hide uh, pills, you know, in, in my then Palm Pilot, you know, I'm really aging myself here. I used to use a Palm Pilot back in the day before we had iPhones <laughs> and I realized one day that, wow, this is really odd behavior that I, I realized that I can't go so many hours without taking another one of these. And when that hit me, I tried to stop. And when I tried to stop, I went through withdrawal and it wasn't yeah. comfortable. Yeah. But, in the, conscious recovery, in conscious ahead. recovery, one of the things I point to is there's an Indian proverb that says we're a house with four rooms, physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And certainly addiction can live in all of those different rooms. And so there's not really a one size fits all. And I think, you know, in the last hundred years or so, there's been kind of one way we approach addiction. That's starting to change now. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is you had the physical addiction, but maybe not so much the intellectual, emotional, or spiritual. And so there's going to be a different way you work with that rather than someone who, you know, has like that deep spiritual longing or that emotional pain that they're trying to manage through substance. So there's not one size fits all for addiction. So I don't believe there's a one size fits all for recovery either. Yeah, I had that going on at that time, but I'm not sure that I, I think I was using food for that more than anything. This was at the same time <laughs> that I weighed 300 pounds. Yeah. So I used food yeah. to soothe the emotional uh, trauma that I never dealt with until, you know, around age 40, about 12 years ago. Uh, so the, the Oxycontin, but you know, it was, it was that whole idea that we're not supposed to ever feel physical pain. Yeah. You know, I went to the doctor, I had lower back pain. I was diagnosed with spondylolisthesis and he instantaneously put me on a couple of things, including Oxycontin. 
And I was naive. I just trusted my doctor. I started taking the regimen, you know, that, that was prescribed. And then one time the doctor uh, actually accidentally increased my dosage. <laughs> and the pharmacist questioned it. And I said, I, you know, I don't know. I just played stupid. It was really on me because I was already in my 30s at this point. But I was just playing stupid, playing along. Sure, well, it's whatever the doctor wants fine with me. <laughs> and I took it. And I really, <laughs> I got stoned. You know, I really felt the difference in this higher dosage. But I kept taking it anyway. So it was my own doing you know, that this all happened. I just, I didn't scrutinize. I just trusted blindly, didn't question. That's when I really learned to question doctors and not just do, you know, I was just, I was just raised that if, if a doctor prescribes it, you take it. Right. Right. And right. that taught me the valuable lesson of not just listening to one doctor and not doing my own research and not finding out the, you know, the other effects of drugs and things like that. Not just, you know, letting somebody prescribe all these medications and just taking them. So that was a valuable right. lesson that I learned early on. But this whole idea, because I have people in my program that want to avoid physical pain. And we talk about this sometimes, how physical pain, first of all, is a great indicator of something that's, that's going on in your body, even if it's just a result of stress. And that discomfort can actually let you know that you're stressed and can be a warning sign that you're going to manifest something more serious if you don't alleviate the stress in your body by alleviating the stress in your mind. So that avoiding pain at all costs that we're taught to do, I, I find now doesn't serve me at all. I do have pain every now and again, and I just lean into it and appreciate it. And I don't need to rush and take something just because I'm feeling some pain. And I always use the example, if anybody uh, listening has ever gotten a tattoo, that when you go to get a tattoo, it's painful. They're sticking you with a needle over and over and over again for a pretty long period of time, depending on the tattoo that you're getting. But yet you tolerate it because you paid somebody to do that and you're going to have this outcome of this tattoo. But you have a whole different attitude toward the physical pain than you do pain that manifests in your body and you think you have to rush and you know take something to get rid of it. And I think a lot of times you know, we're in such a hurry to avoid pain that we get on these painkillers and then we have a hard time getting off. Yeah, and you're speaking to something that is so important because whether we're talking about physical, emotional, mental, spiritual pain, somehow our culture has decided that we shouldn't be feeling it. And what you're speaking to, and I'll speak about it, you, you spoke about the physical, it's the same principle. Let's look at the emotional pain. Um, rather than numbing out the emotional pain, what if we were to say, there's a message in this, right? It's an internal navigation system. There's, it's letting us know something needs attention. We live in the good, bad, right, wrong paradigm so much that we think of pain as something that's bad that we must get rid of. And then we get trapped in only treating the symptoms rather than getting down to the deeper root causes. And that is how addiction has been treated. We look at the substance use as the addiction uh, as the problem when it really is a symptom and it's, it's trying to tell us something. So I think what you're speaking to is incredibly important. If I can learn to be present with my pain, it doesn't mean we stay in the pain, but we're looking for what's the message. If I stick my hand in a hot flame, it hurts for a reason. It's so that I pull it out of that and don't burn my finger off, right? So we're using it in a really different way, rather than saying, this is bad, I must get rid of it. We could say, I wonder what the message is here. What is this trying to show me? Excellent, excellent. We're gonna to go to break in just a moment. And when we get back, I kind of wanna dive into antidepressants a little bit. 
and your opinion on antidepressants and people becoming very dependent on that. We will be right back with TJ Woodward. is changing lives all over the world. Listen to what just a few of our Taya Bootcamp graduates have to say. Taya practice has taken my professional life, me to a new level of abundance and happiness and joy on a daily level of existence that I didn't even know was possible. This work is profound. If you do the Taya Bootcamp and maintain a daily practice, you will fundamentally change your life. It changes everything about you. And it, it, it will affect all other aspects of your life, your health, your, your career, your money, your relationships. And I think that certainly has helped with my anxiety, with my mental health. I'm realizing that, wait a second, I do deserve the best in life. If you're ready to release fear and old limiting beliefs and learn to truly trust the universe to deliver all your desires, then it's time for you to join Taya Bootcamp. Visit thestreamofdavid.com forward slash TYA today and book your free discovery meeting. We are back with recovery expert TJ Woodward, conscious recovery expert, I should say. That's, there's a big difference <laughs> as, as we are discussing. <laughs> the the yes. conscious part is very, very important in all of this. So let's talk about, yeah, it, I, I, I do want to say before I dive into this, that, you know, we, we are talking about different things and different ideas, but obviously if you are prescribed something by your doctor, follow your doctor's orders and discern your own preferences toward, you know, these things and don't just take our advice without talking to your doctor and worrying about whether or not you're becoming addicted to something or not. But we are trying to share our history. Mine is a lot more limited. Uh, regarding my own addictions and, you know, the, the handful of people that I've worked with in boot camp, but I'm not a recovery specialist, but TJ is, and I, I love getting this information out there, and I'm just so thrilled to have you as a guest. So the, the next thing I want to kind of dive into, and that's the reason I said this about the doctors, is because there are people that are on antidepressants, and I know that there are people out there that feel like they have to be on these things, and, and, and there's different diagnoses and things like that that we're not going to dive into here necessarily, but Let's talk about addiction to that. Well, yeah, thank you, David. And it's interesting because during the break, when you introduced this topic, I was sitting with what we might say about it. And I want to start by saying we live in a world where we primarily focus on duality. So it's either this or it's that. What we're saying is what if it's this and that? For example, I've noticed that if I question anything we're hearing about coronavirus, someone might label me as a conspiracy theorist. Or if I question um, the safety of a vaccine, someone might call me an anti-vaxxer, right? And so what I want to say about that is it's, we're not saying that uh, antidepressants are bad. What I am going to say, though, is I do believe they're being overprescribed, and it's really because of the exact thing that you mentioned earlier, David, that is people are trying to escape their pain. Now, again, to be really clear, there are medications and there are people taking medications and it's saving their lives. 
The issue, though, is it often only treats the symptom, right? So if the symptom is depression, if the symptom is anxiety, or the symptom is a diagnosis of a personality disorder, if we only take the pill, we might smooth out the symptoms without getting down to the deeper root causes. So again, it's really important. What I'm not saying is don't take your antidepressant. What I am saying is, in addition to working with your doctor or your psychiatrist on what is being prescribed, also be really curious about the deeper root causes. So with conscious recovery, we're looking at what the deep root causes of the addiction are, not just the symptoms. And Western medicine, for the most part, looking back, was focused on what are your symptoms, how do I help you eradicate them? And we're moving into a new era where uh, we're recognizing that in addition to focusing on symptoms, we want to get down to what the root causes are as well. And I think we are being overly prescribed, and a lot of people are taking antidepressants to feel better. And the truth is, I think they're taking them to feel less. And so, again, recovery is about learning how to be present with my emotions, my physical pain, uh, my thoughts, my spiritual disconnection, and learning how to be present with that is an important part of the recovery process. Very, very good points. You know, I, I, I work with people just like you do, and the, I, I'm always very clear that don't get into my boot camp and think that it's going to mean that you never have to go to the doctor again. You never have to take your medication again. You're not going to have to have the surgery. You know, it's not about that. It's about raising your vibration for the best possible outcome and allowing the right helping hands, if you will, to flow into your life. And absolutely, that can be in the form of a doctor. I remember uh, when I was going through, I went through it, uh, my first awakening, as, as we will label it, was in 2010. But in 2017, when I decided to start sharing the stream publicly with the world, I went through a different type of awakening that wreaked havoc on my body. I just had yeah. so many physical things going on at once. I was really just, my body was just shutting down because the, the energy shift was so great that my body was just having to catch up to it. And at the time, I had a, I don't, I'm not going to name the name of the company, but I had a certain type of health insurance that was sort of a HMO all under one big umbrella where you had to go to one campus to do everything. And in the beginning, yeah. I really didn't like that. I always, I was kind of a snob about it. I said, you know, I don't like, I feel like I'm at the DMV for healthcare and you've got to go stand <laughs> in this line and they send you here and they send you there. But you know, at that time in my life, TJ, I set this intention to, to stop judging it. And I set the intention for the best possible outcome. And then suddenly I realized this is exactly where I need to be because I've got all of these doctors in this network that are speaking to one another and communicating like regular doctors and specialists do not do. And they are actually looking out for my health in the, in the way that I needed to be looked out for at this time because I needed several different specialists for that, that short window of period that my body was just, you know, going crazy. And it really ended up being a very, very positive experience for me. So when it comes to, you know, seeking any kind of professional care, it's not about shunning the professional care for your spiritual practice. But just like you said, TJ, it's, it's the combination of and setting that high vibrational intention for the best possible outcome and the best helping hands to come into play. 
Absolutely. And for me, the, the piece that goes with that that you already said is I'm going to question. It's not about right or wrong. It's like, okay, let me be with that and let me ask a lot of different questions. And part of the questions we're asking is we're asking our physical self, we're asking our emotional, our mental, and our spiritual self, what's the highest possibility here, right? So if, if we know that we have internal wisdom and we know that the body is always bending toward or moving toward health and wholeness, then our health care would be about how we facilitate that, right? So in, in, in a perfect world, um, we would have a team of people that are on board with that, that we recognize that consciousness plays a role in our health care. And as you said, it's not this or that, it's this and that. So in addition to seeking traditional medicine, I might also look for alternative medicines. I might also look for the power of our mind, the power of our emotions, the power of our essential beingness. And that to me is how we actually start to integrate, whether we're talking about medical care or uh, recovery or spirituality. If we look at the wisdom from all the different places and integrate that, I think that's when we can really create a powerful process for ourselves. I think that's a fantastic path to, to recommend to anyone who's, you know, we, we manifest these things. We sort of go down these paths in our lives of manifesting these things. And sometimes it seems hopeless, like that we're never going to get out of it, but raising the vibration around it. And what I teach is to find appreciation for wherever you are and whatever your demons yeah. are. And when you find appreciation for that stuff, it detunes the negative impact that it has on your vibration then you can raise your vibration in general, and then that's when the solutions start to roll in. And it can be any number of things, but the solution from high vibration is not going to result in an addiction to anything. It's going to be a, a, right. a temporary process that aids you in your raising of your vibration and your healing, whatever that looks like. Absolutely, and life is frequency, right? So as we start to, and I love that you talked about appreciation, because gratitude for what is is a starting point. I remember when I first started looking at some of my deep, long-held money issues, because money is something that can be really tangible, right? I remember a teacher saying, if you have $50, infuse that $50 with gratitude. If you have 50000 infuse that with the same gratitude. Because if I'm looking at not being grateful for what I have, I'm just going to create more of that. And so if I'm not grateful for what I have, what makes me think I'm going to be grateful for more, right? So that's such an important first step. And I think you're talking about something even deeper, though, David, and that is, can I lean in and pay attention to the possibility that I can be even grateful for what we might call the shadow or some of the difficult parts of my life? maybe even, you know, some of the traumatic experiences, because when I'm in the frequency of that's bad and how do I get rid of it, I just create more of that. So we're talking about, again, that this and that. Yes, we do that work. And at the same time, we say, wow, I can actually find a place of gratitude for all my life experiences, because some of the most painful experiences of my life have turned out to be the most useful in my working with other people. Yeah, we, we've talked about that, that, you know, like we both had issues with parents growing up and, and identity and things like that. And there was a long period of time where I sort of had that victim label on me that I allowed 
of you know the kid whose father left when he was six and his mother didn't love him and told him to kill himself and you know all of that stuff and when I finally came around to gratitude because I realized that wow I made it through all of that and having these disconnected parents really allowed me to develop into the unique being that I am today and I'm very self-taught you know no one was watching over me making me do anything as a child I was curious but I was not a good student so I just look at all the things that I've taught myself in life and how far I've come in life without that family structure. And then I can really go back with empathy toward my mother and my father and, and see that they should have never been married. My mother should have never had kids, but I'm glad that she did because I'm here and really had be grateful for the fact that it all ended up the way that it did. And then when I did that, it really detuned all of that negative energy. In fact, that was the beginning of my massive weight loss and my, my awakening and all of that stuff happened when I finally found gratitude for my parents and my upbringing and realized that it wasn't a bad thing at all. And it was actually a fantastic thing for me. Yeah. And we, you know, we're so programmed to look at life through the lens of good and bad that it's hard. It might be hard for someone listening right now to say, how can I have gratitude for something that was so horrible? And for me, the key is not to bypass it. It doesn't mean that it wasn't painful in the healing process and maybe the pain comes up again. But what we're speaking to is, in addition to that, there's also a deeper level of awareness where we can recognize that what we went through can actually become so much a part of our purpose here on planet Earth. I did a workshop once and we ended up in this really organic process and I was facilitating it where we looked at the most difficult moments in our life, and then we looked at what the internal resources were that allowed us to transmute those and get through them. And then organically, we looked at those internal resources and realized that was our gift to share with the world and with ourselves. And for me, you know, it was gratitude, it was strength, it was perseverance, but more than that, it was actually making peace with all that had happened in my life. And I realized that was such an important part of my purpose. And when we're in the frequency of purpose, rather than the frequency of success, everything changes because we can start to recognize that there are infinite possibilities. And when I'm stuck in the trap of like, I want to succeed, I don't have the deep level of satisfaction. And then of course the paradox is I don't have the external success either. So being able to make peace with our past, but also recognize that yes, it could have been painful, but again, it's not about running from the pain, moving through the pain and recognizing the gift in it. You know, one example is I grew up in a household very similar to yours. Mom probably shouldn't have been a mother. Uh, dad, my mom and dad probably shouldn't have been married. And I'm using should intentionally because on one level of consciousness, that's true. But there's a deeper, deeper level. And the greatest gift I received from growing up in a house where what people were saying, what people were doing, and the energy I was experiencing were totally different is I learned how to become highly intuitive. So my gift of intuition came from that what looked like instability or what we could even call trauma that allowed me to recognize that I had to learn how to trust my inner knowing more than what was happening around me. And a gift it is indeed. And, and you know, these things, the, the stream says all the time that there is nothing going on in this world 
that ends what we really are. In other words, there's no real death. There's no, you know, the, the pain that we, that we experience on a human level is not seen the same from an eternal perspective. And certainly life and death is not because we live and die, you know, throughout multiple lifetimes on multiple levels, really into infinity. So if you start looking at things more from that eternal perspective, even though we don't have ready access to that unless we do a lot of inner work, it, it really helps you lighten up on, on everything that happens here in our world in this perceived lifetime. And when you lighten up on it, you can start exploring it without all of that negative energy going toward the trauma in your life. And I hear people use you know, these buzzwords sometimes, trauma, toxic people, toxic relationships, you know, over and over again, I hear these terms and I realize that, okay, you're judging these things as bad and toxic and awful and evil, but you're really not diving into them and exploring them. You're just keeping that vibration active in you. And that's why you find yourself over and over and over again in the same scenario, whatever it is, whether it's addiction or poverty or, you know, underemployment or bad relationships, whatever it is, this cycle just keeps continuing because we push against it, we label it evil, we label it wrong, and we focus on what we don't want rather than what we do want. Amen to that. And that's the deeper work, right? Recognizing, because you talked about moving out of the victim frequency. And if I'm projecting that a relationship is toxic, I have to start with, well, isn't it interesting that I chose that, right? And am I projecting that? And the deeper work for me, and this is a core principle of conscious recovery, is we need to get down to the deeply held core false beliefs and therefore the frequency that we're holding about ourselves in the world. And as you said, if I'm holding a core frequency of I'm not lovable, no relationship is ever going to heal that on the outside unless I get in and look at where that core vibration, that core frequency originated, and then how we can start to shift that. And that's how we actually empower someone. We shift the blame from someone else, and we don't turn that blame inward because that's the same thing. We look at it from a lens of compassion, openness, understanding, and we start becoming curious about how we can shift that core belief and that core vibration, and we let the external start to work itself out instead of trying to fix it from the outside in. That is perfect. I love that. I love that theory, and it, it certainly works. Every spiritual teacher sort of goes back to that, right? <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I really want to dive into vibration and also kind of wrap up with how we can help people that are, are suffering or challenged by addiction in our lives. We'll be right back with TJ Woodward. The Taya practice is changing lives all over the world. Listen to what just a few of our Taya Bootcamp graduates have to say. I'm so comfortable in my skin and who I am that it just has completely changed my world. It's amazing. I'm so full of joy and clarity every day to feel this good and this amazing. I, as I said, there's, there's no words. I can't stress enough how wonderful this program is. I was living in fear. My life felt like it was a constant groundhog day. Every morning I woke up, I felt, oh, here we go again, you know. This is the first time I feel like I took control of my own life. Probably the best thing ever is that I've always dreamed of this kind of life, and now I am 
living it. I'm creating it. And it's not a dream anymore. It's reality. It's time to awaken to abundance with the Taya practice and Taya Bootcamp. Visit thestreamofdavid.com forward slash TYA today to learn more about the Taya practice and book your free discovery meeting. And the last ad was perfect for our guest today, conscious recovery expert, TJ Woodward. We're back. So let's, <laughs> I love that ad too. And my new ads play without the music behind them because I needed, I wanted to get the new versions up right away. And he hasn't put the music behind them yet, but they just, they sound a lot better than the old ones did. I promise you that. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, uh, and, and there's all these different words, people that are suffering or challenged with or addicted. I get questions all the time about helping other people uh, that we want to help. And, and we have a specific set of teachings around that. But I'd like to hear your perspective on people who are, you know, friends, loved ones, parents of someone who might be struggling with addiction. Well, there's, there's a, a huge paradox here, right? Because um, in some ways, quite often the person really closest to the person that it seems to be struggling with an addiction might be in some ways the last person that can help. But I will offer this. It's really easy to look at our loved one, our friends, our family members, our partners through the lens of brokenness and what might happen if you were to start to see the highest potential within them and look through the addiction, look at the addiction as a symptom and then become curious with them what, what might be underneath it. So there are a couple of key points. One is, can you look for the essential wholeness in them? Because what happens with addiction is people have a sense of shame. They believe they're broken. You know, we talked about some of those core false beliefs and the frequency that they're vibrating as. And then they're soothing themselves with addiction. So there's this shame spiral, a downward spiral. And it's really easy for the people around them to feel powerless, to feel frustrated, and they might go into some judgment. And of course, I understand where that would come from. But if we can pause that and help them interrupt, in other words, the observer has a profound effect. So if I can start to focus on myself instead of the person, because a lot of times in family systems, for example, the person with the addiction becomes what we call the identified patient. They're the one with the problem, but that's also a symptom of something happening in the family system. So 100% of the time, the path to freedom for myself is to unplug from someone else's behavior and take a look at what it's meaning to me, what's getting activated for me, and how I can do some of that internal healing. I love that. You know, it just brought me back to the very first time I ever channeled a stream in front of an audience. I did the podcast for a while, and I was living in the Bay Area, and I did, uh, I did my first live workshop up in Marin County, and you know, a good handful of people showed up. And when I channel, I'm aware of what's going on, but I'm not there. I don't know how to, else to describe it. I'm sort of in the background and this is happening. And sometimes I remember it and, and very often I do not. But I do very distinctly remember a woman in the audience coming up and sitting and having the question for the stream. Her son was a, an addict and she wanted to know how she could help her son. 
And the stream basically said what you just said, you know, allow him with love and compassion to have his experience and you focus on being the very best version, high vibrational version of you that you can be and set that example for him and be in appreciation of his journey, whatever it is and whatever the outcome, be at peace with that because that's his sole intention is to have this experience. And I remember in the background thinking, oh my God, I can't believe I'm telling this one. <laughs> but it was the stream, yeah. you know, it was channeling. So it was just like this, I, just, I don't filter it at all. I let it come out as it is. And you know what? She was so at peace with that advice. And she's still yeah, in my Facebook absolutely. group. And I, 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 you know, as far as I know, everything is still, uh, is actually gotten better with her son. And this was, you know, almost three years ago at this point. So it was just interesting that that was one of the first things that I really remember in channeling and thinking, you know, gosh, am I going to get my, am I going to be in trouble by what I'm channeling here? But she actually really loved the response and it felt really good. So. Yeah, because, you know, we've been, again, there's like this deep program that we need to fix something that's broken, right? And if we look at our children, the example you gave is so common. I see it time and time again, you know, mothers and fathers that have a young child that's in the midst of an active addiction, and maybe they've, you know, paid for them to go to treatment three times. And some of the old school models talk about detachment, right? So like don't uh, co-sign on their behavior. And that's not what I'm saying. I mean, there is an element that might look like that because we're going to unplug from the desire to fix them and plug into our own essential beingness. And from there, can we see that person as that? And as you said, as the stream revealed, we acknowledge that every soul has its own past. And I'm not here to change that soul path, but to be a loving presence. Now, you know, it could be said that that's easier said than done. And if it's true that it's easier said than done, we want to be curious about that. What is it about my desire to fix this person? And what might get created if I were to view them not as broken, but as having a symptom of something? And that's a fundamental shift that can create freedom for everyone involved. But I also have seen it time and time again lead to more healing. Yes. And that's that's the, the very best that you can offer someone because we all know that, and I'm not a parent, I had a parenting experience for one year and that was plenty for me. <laughs> but, you know, when this person is your, you know, your, your child, you love them, you're very attached to them, your, your ego is somewhat attached to, you know, how they turn out, I'm sure, it just makes sense. And they're not heading down the path that you want to see them head down. That's difficult, but parents do deal with that. And it's just it's just part of, of being in a family is that you're going to have people that are going to take their own paths. And we have to be allowing of those paths because I don't see an alternative to it. Yeah. And one of the things that is coming through for me, and I think this is really important, is can we move beyond labeling? You know, labeling the person as um, broken, labeling the person as an addict. Or labeling myself because some of the old treatment models or addiction, you know, support models, you know, might label someone as codependent or label someone as a fixer. And let's move beyond labels. Krishnamurti says the highest form of human intelligence is to see ourselves without judgment. So if I can move out of judgment and into curiosity, but again, starting with curiosity about my own desires, my own, um, like as you said, David, the egos need to fix or you know is this how is this looking or i want this person to get it if we can shift into openness and curiosity something profound happens 
I love that. I absolutely love that. And it's, it's just the, the idea that everything has to fit into a box. Like you were saying earlier about the vaccines and the masks and all that, we do live in this dual society that is either on one side of something or another. And I've always been a big middle ground gray kind of guy that, you know, there's merit on each side. You know, why do I always have to have to pick a side on every argument? Uh, you know, sometimes you just do the best that you can, but I don't flow, you know, right or left on, on anything, really. You know, well, to you me, because- independent thought is, is independent, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting because I think in the age of social media, it's become seemingly more polarized. I don't really buy into that, that it's polarized. But I had someone say to me, I said, well, I question everything I hear that the media is telling me. And she said, oh, I didn't know you were a Trump supporter. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I like, think no. we've all been labeled out a time or two lately, it seems. That's, that's the big one, yeah. And it's like, no, but I am curious and I want to investigate. And when I say investigate, I don't mean like fact check, because that's also on some level important. When I say investigate, I want to investigate my own inner knowing about something, because one of the things it's been said that politics is a low frequency, right, a low vibration. And that's because it's based in the ego. And again, I want to be clear, we're not saying there's anything fundamentally wrong with politics. But it's really easy to be very deeply entrenched in ego when we start getting into politics. I want to be more curious. I want to be more open. What what might happen if I were to be sincerely curious about how someone had their point of view rather than going into judgment? You know, we live in cancel culture now where people are getting canceled for something they said years ago. I would love to see us be more open and curious. It's not because I think someone's right or if I listen to someone's point of view, I'm co-signing on it. But what happens if I move beyond right and wrong and good and bad and just be open and curious? I think a lot of healing can happen through that. And perhaps that's why we're in so much unrest right now, because we're being called to wake up to a greater possibility for our planet. Yeah, I think it's bubbling up to a, to a higher degree because of the awakening. You're right. In all the questioning of everything is just causing all of these things to bubble up and they're presenting themselves for us to deal with. And you deal with them through appreciation, but ultimately you deal with them by, you know, they're going to come to light no matter what we do. I do believe that positive is more powerful than negative and that all of these things do eventually come to light. And and the, the universe has a way of sort of working these things out, whether we, you know, come with torches for it or not. And right. What I always say about politics or any other topic, if you have to lower your vibration to dive into the topic, is it worth you going down your spiral over? Is it worth you lowering your vibration? And I always say well, no. Well, there you go. Yeah, yes. I say no. And, <laughs> and I love how simple that is, right? If I, if I learn how to be really present with my frequency, I can recognize, and it's not someone else, see, because we've moved beyond... Um, giving someone else the power to affect our frequency. But if I'm noticing myself tuning into a lower frequency to take part in a conversation, I can recognize that I don't want to do that. And so I want to say something that I think is important. When we talk about lower and higher frequency, we're talking about shifting from what we're resisting to what we're standing for, right? Mother Teresa said that years ago, I will not be in an anti-war demonstration, but on a, if it's a pro-peace rally or a pro-peace march, I'm the first person there. 
And politics, it seems to be um, more and more that it's about what we're against. And so if sure. I can start shifting that into what I'm standing for, and I think that what's happening on planet Earth is we're waking up in a profound way. David, I know you and I have had dark night of the soul experiences where things needed to crumble away in order for me to know a deeper level of who and what we are. And I, I see that happening in our country and in our world right now. Absolutely. We, we've called this the time of awakening because people are questioning. We're coming together like never before via technology. We're questioning as, as humanity like never before. And sure enough, all of that questioning is causing all of these things to shift. And, and a lot of things are crumbling. A lot of institutions of control are crumbling. And politics at its core is really all about control, controlling the outcome for the masses or, or, or whatever you're governing. It really is about that. And there's contrast on all topics. So there's positives to that. But the, the negative contrast is that it's about control. And, and we are here for freedom and joy. We are not here to be controlled in our lives. And we all know that innately. And that's why right. so many people that are having an awakening experience want to shun politics altogether. And I get it. But the way I look at it is politics has its place. Very often I find myself kind of picking from the lesser of the two evils, if you will. But I, at the end of the yeah. day, I will participate in it, but I'm not giving it much power at all over my life. I'm not going to get all emotionally invested because I can't control the outcome. You know, certainly there have been leaders in our country here in the United States, if you're listening in the U.S., that that I've preferred just vibrationally over others. But my life has always been abundant and joyous in general, regardless of who's sitting in the White House. And I try to remind exactly. people of that because they get so worked up. This whole Trump thing gets people so worked up. And I do understand it. But again, how much are you going to lower your own vibration to go and be that upset about pushing against something when the pushing against never seems to work in the first place. Exactly, because it creates more of it, right? And only 26% of eligible vote, no, 26% of registered voters are all that voted for him. And so why are we against, right? We create an enemy and we push and push and push instead of bringing what I hear you saying, David, if I'm hearing you correctly, is unplugging from all that, tuning into a greater possibility internally, a higher vibration, and then we can bring that into every situation, including politics, right, if we choose. So it's okay to unplug from it that another possibility is that we tune into the higher vibration of who we really are and we bring that into every situation. Imagine what happens when we all dedicate ourselves to really knowing deeply that we are infinite source energy and that we can actually bring that into the world. And what I'm interested in right now, what I'm working on with my third book is shifting from the law of attraction to the law of radiance, not what can I get from the universe, but what can I offer? And then watching what happens because that's a profound shift. I love that. I love the law of radiance. So as we wrap up, tell everybody where they can find you tjwoodward.com. Very simple. You can see my books, my courses, and every other thing that I'm up to, tjwoodward.com. And I love the idea of the law of radiance because I, you know, the law of attraction is really the process of creation of all things. So you're not going to get away from that in spiritual teachings. But when I first started my course and, and things like that, I, I attracted a lot of people that were looking to master the law of attraction because they wanted stuff. And right. I told them they needed to want more than just stuff. 
to get into my course. And the course trans, uh, transitioned very quickly to being Taya, the Taya Bootcamp, Trust Your Abundance. But abundance is not money. Abundance is radiance. I love it. We speak the same language, TJ. Thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. Namaste.